Hey, this is Christian Golden. Welcome to our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message encourages you. I hope it builds you up. Enjoy the message. Last week we were uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Did did y'all read up on Ephesians chapter 3 this week? And the reason I ask y'all to read up on Ephesians chapter 3 every week, or the Ephesians that we're reading, whatever chapter it is, so I don't have to read the whole chapter. So last week was Ephesians chapter 2. We talked about being dead in your trespasses and your sins. We talked about the death of uh, the believer and the unbeliever. The unbeliever, when they die, there's no more getting saved. There's no more forgiveness to be able to ask for forgiveness. There's no more repentance to ask Jesus that you're sorry for the sins that you've committed. There's no more witnessing to other people, and there's no more loving your family. There's no more loving your neighbor as yourself, and there's no more opportunities to do the right thing, and and it means eternal separation from God if you die as an unbeliever, okay? Now, I always say this, and I want you to get it in your spirit. We're all going to have eternal life. I want you to know that. You're all going to have eternal life. Where we choose to spend it is up to us. So as an unbeliever, you want to become a believer, amen? For the believer, death means that you get to claim your rewards. We talked about this last week. At least five crowns are mentioned in the Bible. The victor's crown, which is self-discipline, and self-discipline, what is self-discipline? When you say if you have a, a bad eating habit, you control your eating habit, you discipline yourself. I always look at discipline as your prayer time in the morning. It's hard to get up and spend time with God when all you want to do is sleep. And when you're disciplined and you get up and you have that quiet time, you have your prayer time, your study time, that's self-discipline. You get rewards for that. God's going to give you a crown for that, a crown of rejoicing when you lead others to Christ, which, by the way, there's nothing else in our Christian walk that will ever be greater than leading somebody to Jesus Christ because that's why we're here, to know him and to make him known. Amen? And we do that a lot of times by the way we live our life. There's a crown of righteousness where you long for Jesus Christ, where you're seeking him, where you're always dropping J-bombs is what I call them. You know, everywhere I go, drop a J-bomb, a Jesus bomb, throwing things out there, just trying to get somebody to bite, like fishing, so you can talk about Jesus. It's the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. When you endure trials, temptations, and you endure, even if you are persecuted, the crown of glory is faithful, that is given to the faithful shepherds the pastors and the leaders that God has set in place and anointed for his purpose and for his glory. Amen. But ultimately, we talked about last week that our greatest reward will be the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That no crown can ever compare to the splendor of his glory. Amen. We haven't even begun to see, no eye has seen or ear have heard the glorious things that God has prepared for us. Amen. So nothing compares to his great love. Nothing ever has, nothing ever is, and nothing ever will compare to God's glory. And we close with, your life is a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And I always use the analogy of, a, of speaking of the Royal Rangers when they're out there and they're cooking these big old pots of chili and soup and the little wisp of steam that come off of this good eating. The little, you know what I'm talking about? Just the little vapors? That's how long your life is. So why can't we be sold out for Christ for that little bit of time? That's all it takes. Just that little bit. And then it's over. We all have a date. We all have an end date. We have a born-on date, and we have an end-on date. Nobody knows that date. So, and then uh, the last thing we talked about was we are God's workmanship. We talked about the potter, that God is the ultimate potter, that he created all of us. And although we all have different traits and different designs and different um, 
flaws maybe, if you, if you will, God created all of us for the same purpose, and that is to glorify him with the vessel that he has given us. Amen? Amen. So this morning, we're going to be in chapter Ephesians chapter 3, and verse 1 through 3, follow along with me. I, I always get in trouble with Paul because I don't give him my scriptures beforehand so he can post them up here. But he does, he's so fast, I just feel like I don't have to do that anymore, right? Thank you, Paul. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. <laughs> All right. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So as I started uh, my studies this week, and it kind of I start early, I read it, I read it, and I reread it, and I'm just trying to get my mind wrapped around it. I could not get off of verse 1. So this entire sermon this morning is about one word, prisoner. So we're going to have a, a, a 3.1 or 2 next week on Ephesians to finish it up. So what is the prisoner of Christ? We always hear that term. We always try to wrap our minds around what it is. But a prisoner is a person who is legally held in prison as punishment for a crime or crimes that they have committed. Y'all know my testimony. I'm not going to share the whole thing, but I was incarcerated. I was in prison. I did three years in prison, okay? I was legally held captive, forcefully, not by my will. Trust me, if I could have gotten up out of there, I would have. I even looked at climbing the fence, but they got this thing called razor wire that you can't climb no more. That's to keep good people like me from escaping, right? Amen. Keep the honest people honest. But it's being legally held. And what I want to talk about this morning is being a prisoner. Being a prisoner. Paul, in verse 1, says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, on the outside looking in, it really it doesn't make sense for the Apostle Paul, who, who wrote 14 books, some say 13, that doesn't matter, he wrote a lot. But on the outside looking in, it almost looks like Paul's contradicting himself because he tells the Galatians that Christ set us free, but he tells the Ephesians that, Christ, that we're slaves to Christ. So which is it? Which is it? It sounds like a contradiction. And I want you to keep that thought in your mind because I'm going to tie it in on the backside when we bring that loop complete around, okay? And we're going to talk about that, but I just wanted you to have that fresh in your mind. Um, another word for prison is bondage, being shackled, being in chains. Brother John did a, a message one Wednesday where he was up here and he was wrapped up in chains. And it was such a visual, and I, I, for a split second this morning, I thought about having him come with has changed because it really gives you a visual of what it means to be chained up and to be bound up, but I didn't have time really. So, but I want to look at four types of bondage this morning. So for all the note takers, I didn't give my notes to Paul. I want you to write your notes on your phone, your whatever, your tablet. Four things I want to look at this morning if you take notes. Number one, there's a physical bondage. We get into physical bondage. It represents our body. It is our body, it's our limbs, it's our ears, it's our eyes, it's our nose, it's our mouth. It's all the senses of your flesh, physical bondage. And then there's uh, spiritual bondage, your mind, your will, and your emotions. You get, get all your emotions, get involved with sometimes making decisions for Christ and then things go the wrong way because we sometimes feel like we have to feel the Holy Spirit or he's not there, and that's not always the case. So there's spiritual bondage. There's a mental bondage where it talks about your mind, everything in your mind. To most of us, that is the greatest battle we will ever fight. 
the hardest battle we will ever fight. And then there's the number four, it's the Christian bondage, where you're in bond to Jesus Christ, where you're slaves to Jesus Christ. So an example of physical bondage, if you look at the book of, uh, if you look at the end of Genesis, you see Joseph, he was sold into slavery to uh, Potiphar, to the, he ended up being in Egypt, okay? And Joseph didn't do anything. Joseph was innocent, but Joseph, although he was innocent, he did kind of blab his mouth a little bit, right? So one of the lessons from that is just because God has given you an anointing don't mean you got to tell everybody you got it, okay? Joseph probably could have avoided a lot of this mess if he'd have just closed his mouth, amen? But Joseph was put into a pit. They brought him out, sold him for 30 shekels of silver. He ended up going to prison, and he was in physical bondage. But just because you're in physical bondage doesn't mean God can bring you out. You know, you look at Job was in physical bondage. Uh, And then the second physical bondage I want to look at is the Israelites in the book of Exodus. They they came from Joseph and his family, and they, they got so powerful and so big, and God blessed them. God opened the wombs of all the women, and all these babies were coming out. Tons and tons of babies, and the, and the Egyptians said, oh no, they're going to overtake us. So they put them in physical bondage. They made them work the mills, work bricks, work the fields. Physical bondage, okay? And then the other thing, that was one of the first uh, mass genocides of, of children, by the way. Um, and the, another, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were bound with ropes. They were physically bound and thrown into a fiery furnace. Now, there's all kinds of physical bondage that we can get ourselves in. They got themselves in physical bondage for standing for truth. Sometimes things happen when you stand for truth. The government didn't like the fact that they weren't going to bow down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar that was set in place. And they told Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter, God will deliver us in the fire or he'll deliver us in death. We are not going to worship you. And sometimes as Christians, we have to stand up against the the principalities and the powers that are coming against us by way of government and stand our ground and say, I'm a Christian. This is against my right. This is against my will. Know my rights, and I'm going to fight for them. God will deliver me from them. He always has, and he always will. And the only thing I would like to, to point out that came off of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the fiery furnace was the things that had them bound. Some called it fetters, some called it ropes, but they burned off. And when they came out, they didn't even have the smell of smoke because Jesus was with them. And so when we go through this fire like they did, it's okay. Jesus is with you. And they didn't bow, they didn't bend, and they didn't burn. As a matter of fact, it caused Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge God's existence. So how does this relate to us? Some of us here this morning were suffering We have physical ailments on us. Some of us have uh, a sickness that we can't shake. Sickness affects your physical body. Some of us have uh, cancer. We can't can't break it. We don't know why. The cancer ain't going away. But that is a physical condition that has us bound up. A lot of times your physical conditions bind you up and cause you to have mental uh, bondage as well and spiritual bondage as well. Um, It's a sickness. Drug addiction affects your body. When you're addicted to drugs, it affects your, your organs. When you're addicted to alcohol, it affects your liver. It affects your, everything with your body. There's so much physical bondage, we don't even really pay attention. We just want to call it sin and say, oh, I'll rebuke you, devil, but we don't want to do anything to take steps in the right direction. Amen? Um, Matthew uh, 9, 20 through 22. Matthew 9, 20 through 22. 
And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly, the woman was made well. And it's interesting to note that she had a physical ailment. She had a physical bondage. She was trapped for 12 years out of, the, out of the city. She couldn't be around anybody because if she touched anybody, they'd become unclean. She was deemed unclean because of a physical ailment. And it wasn't the, the time of her purification as is custom, but it was just a constant, uh, constant ailment that was against her. And what she did is she came up. She broke every rule that they had in place. She broke all the laws of man that they had set in place and sometimes you have to break the rules of man, and I'm not telling you to, to speed or anything like that, but the rules that is going to stop you from being healed, sometimes you got to go against it. Sometimes it's just what she did. She ran out, got out of her place, took a chance, because if she touched a man, they'd become unclean, and she was stoned to death. She took a chance, and she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. And some of the commentaries that I read said the, the shawl that Jesus wore was his prayer shawl, and what, what she actually grabbed was the tallit at the bottom, which was actually the name of God. So she physically went up and grabbed Jesus, grabbed the name of Jesus, and she was made well. And it wasn't, hey, oh, you got to give me, you know, 20 Hail Marys. You have to go tithe. You have to go and ask for forgiveness. Jesus doesn't operate like that. He says, come as you are. Come as you are, and you'll be healed. And she did. And that's so true for us. Sometimes we go through the same cycle. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. And here we go, we're sick, and we go do the same thing over and over. And instead of trusting in God, I'm not telling you not to go to the doctors, because I promise you, I'm going to go. If I get a runny nose, I'm going. What I'm saying is we don't trust God enough. And she did. you got to step out of your comfort zone. We get comfortable. We get so used that the doctors are going to heal us and not God. And I'm not saying don't go to the doctors. Please, we go all the time, me and my bride. And we believe that God has sent angels and miracles through the hands of many doctors. Amen. Amen. So go to the doctors if you're sick. Please go to the doctors. And some of us are just suffering this morning. And this is a good example. In John 8, 36, it says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God set, uh, Jesus set that woman free from her physical bondage. He wants to set us free from our physical bondage, from the ailments that we have. He's ready and willing. It doesn't matter what, what your physical bondage is or what you're in. Jesus wants to set you free this morning. He's Jehovah Rapha. It means he is my healer. He is my redeemer. He is my restorer. And he wants you to reach out this morning and just grab him. Grab the tallits. Grab the garment so you can be healed in the name of Jesus from your physical bondage. Amen? Point number three, we get into spiritual bondage. Um, what is spiritual bondage? Spiritual bondage is any area of our lives that, where we come into agreement with a lie from the enemy that is in direct opposition of God's word. That was a mouthful. Let me say it again slower. Spiritual bondage is any area of our lives where we come into agreement with a lie from the enemy that is in direct opposition of God's word. The devil is going to attack you. Don't think just because you're a Christian you're not going to be attacked. And especially when you start moving towards God. The closer you get to the light, the stronger the, the forces of evil come against you. 
Amen? If you're not having any struggles in your life, I would ask you to reevaluate, are you close enough to the light? Normally, when you start getting close to the light, you get whipped up on a little bit. And some of us need a little whipping. Some of us need a little reality check. Amen? But it, it'll make you weak. It'll make you think that you're weak. It, uh, spiritual bondage makes you think that you're weak and, and powerless and that you're, you're this no good for nothing Christian and you just stay spiritually bound. You know, you say it's impossible. God says all things are possible. You say I'm tired. God says I will give you rest. Amen. You say nobody loves me. Jesus said, I love you because John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. When you say I can't do it, Jesus says you can do all things. When you say I can't go on, Jesus says my grace is sufficient. When you say I can't figure it out, Jesus says I will direct your steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Amen. Amen. That's, that's how I pray in the morning. I can't, outside of you, Lord, I can't do anything. I'm just a vessel. Tell me where to go. Tell me what to say, and I'm just going to be obedient. I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other. I don't have to see what's around the corner. I don't have to know what tomorrow's going to hold because I know who holds tomorrow. Amen? You sure are pretty, baby. I love when you smile at me when I'm preaching. It makes me like, feel like I'm doing good. I can tell if my sermons are okay by the way my wife looks at me. So she's smiling, so I'm going to take that as a good sign. 1 Peter 5, 7, Paul says to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Amen? Matthew eleven twenty eight says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But we're, <laughs> the sad thing is we're too busy fighting ourselves to fight any kind of enemy. Most of us couldn't fight our way out of a wet paper bag. I used to be one of those people. I didn't know if I was coming or going. I didn't know how to fight. We're too busy fighting each other. We don't have time to fight the enemies. And so we stay divided. Because he said, she said, they're going to do this. He's not going to do that. Does it matter? One of the, one of the things, just I'm a, a public service announcement, okay? One of the things that will burn my cornbread, <laughs> if you will, is when people come early in the morning before service and try to blast me and tell me all this bad stuff that's happening, you know, I understand, you know, we have elders for that, and I'm not trying to set myself up on a pedestal, but I'm really trying to focus, and the last thing I want to hear is all this nasty garbage coming out of people's mouths about what he's doing or what she's doing. So if there's really, if it's not a dire emergency, go to the elders, Danny, Bob, They'll take care of that. Pastor Paul was the same way. I talked to him so many times. And one of the reasons he stayed in his office until it was time to preach, because everybody bombarded him. Now, after service, hey, come on, we'll go out behind the woodshed. You know what I'm saying? So let's, anyways, I'm just saying what I'm saying. That's two types of spiritual, spiritual bondage this morning that I want to talk about that plague the church. One of them is the bondage of legalism, okay? In the early 1930s to the 1970s, the early church had a list of do's and don'ts, amen? What pants you can wear, what kind of jewelry you can wear, you don't cut your hair, cut your hair. But in the mid-80s, all that started to change. The pendulum started swinging. People started saying, I need freedom from this. I, don't, I shouldn't have to dress a certain way to come to church, I shouldn't have to have my hair a certain way, wear a certain jewelry to come to church. And, and what happened is the church was in bondage because of this. 
but people wanted freedom. There's a deep cry for freedom. There's still a deep cry for freedom, especially in our country. We're held captive and we're held bondage by the people in the White House that don't even know if they're coming or going. They're so busy fighting amongst themselves that our country is going to hell in a handbasket. And I'm just quite sick of it. How many of y'all pray for the government, by the way? Years ago, when President Obama was in, in uh, the president, I was witnessing to a guy on, on, in the plant. And I was telling him about my prayer list. And I was telling him that, you know, I pray for our president. And he got bent out of shape. Oh, now you're getting political. Why are you praying for him? And I said, it doesn't matter who the president is. I pray for them because the decisions they make, whether Republican or Democrat, affect me and my family. So I pray for God's anointing to be on them. If they make wrong decisions, God, you strike it down. If they make good decisions, just give them a handshake. Amen? Amen? But anyways, there's still a cry for freedom. We want freedom. We want freedom from all these legalistic ideas that the church is adopting. If you start telling people, if I stand up here and start telling you ladies, hey, y'all got to wear dresses, you got to keep your hair long, you got to wear high heels, guess who's going to stop coming? They're out of here. See? We can't be legalistic. Can't be legalistic. (laughs) And the truth shall set you free. Amen. But don't we do that to others? Don't we we look through the lens of legalism when, when we look at other people and we forget that God gave us grace, that God had grace on us when we were new, but yet we look to other people like they need to change? Because we, we don't look through the lens of grace. We look through the lens of legalism. And we just judge them. Amen? <laughs> we got to stop with that. Galatians chapter 1 through 4 is a, a real good um, few chapters about legalism. So if you get time to read it, Galatians chapter 1 through 4. So if we're going to be a church that says, come as you are, then we need to love them just as they are when they get here. Okay? It's like my dad, Charlie, used to, uh, always told me, it sinks in. Quit, we got to stop giving lip service and start giving life service. If we're going to go on the outreach and we're going to compel people to come in and we're going to love you as you are, when they walk in the door, I'm expecting people to be there to greet them, to shake their hand, to make them feel comfortable because your expressions, your body expressions, the way you look at them, your legalistic views will cause them to run out just as fast as we get them in. Amen. So can we do that? We can't. Pastor Paul used to always say, you can't clean the fish before you catch them. Okay, let's get them in here. Let's get them involved. Let's get them focused. I was one of them dirty, rotten, stinking fish that needed to get somewhere and get filled with the Holy Spirit and get a passion and purpose in my life. Then the men in the church were able to start cleaning me, getting me right. And, and you know how they did it? They did it, didn't do it by pointing their fingers. They did it by coming alongside of me and being an example of what a godly man is supposed to be by coming to church. By reach, when somebody doesn't come, do you call your friends and say, hey, I missed you at church? Or do you just assume that you know, they had other things going? And they probably did. What if something was wrong? What if they were sick? We have to stop with the legalistic. And that's a, there's a bondage of legalism, amen? Who cares what they wear? Jesus didn't tell one person that he healed. You need to change. You need to dress a certain way before I heal you. Jesus is the the embodiment of grace. Everything that Jesus did involved grace. 
And grace isn't just the New Testament uh, philosophy or New Testament idea. Grace started all the way back in Genesis when Eve and Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were told not to eat. And rather than God killing them and starting over, he still had grace on them that they're going to do the right thing. That's also where sacrificial worship came from, by the way. It doesn't, it doesn't ever say where it started. Just a little side note. But it just says that they, they were sacrificing. Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God. That's where it started. It started in the, in the garden. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we give of our first fruits. That's why we give things to other people. Amen? So it's our job to love them, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to change them. Amen? Amen. There's also the bondage of the flesh. We're all bound by the sinful nature. We were all born into the sinful nature of the flesh. And it's a, it's a, a process. Adam and Eve, they sinned. Because of them, we're all, we all got the sinful nature. So we're all in bondage. But it took a blood sacrifice to break that cycle. That's why Jesus was born of a virgin. So he could break that cycle of sin in the flesh. And that's why he had to die on the cross. The death, hell, and the grave was conquered. And now we have freedom. We have freedom from that bondage of the flesh. But we can still go back to the cross and pick it up. Amen? Amen. There's a mental bondage. Number four, point number four. The number one cause of mental bondage is fear. The number one cause of mental bondage is fear. We fear poverty. And it's evident that we fear poverty because we cling on to every single dollar we make. We're afraid to give it out. We're afraid to hand it to other people. We're afraid to sow it into a ministry. Into a ministry. We're afraid to give it to our neighbor or to give it to our sons or our daughters. So we cling on to it. We're, we fear poverty. So we want to save. Get all you can. Save all the rest. Amen? And we fear poverty. We fear pain. We fear pain. We feel hurting. We fear being illness. We feel, fear being sick all the time and disease. And one of the things that most people fear is death. Remember last week, remember last week, I told you I'm not a prophet, but I gave a prophecy. You remember what it was? I'm, I'm going re, to reiterate it this morning. I'll get a, a profound prophecy from the Lord. Okay, I want you all to get it in your spirit. We are all going to die. Okay? Get it in your spirit. We fear death. So we know that date is approaching. What are we doing to prepare ourselves for the date that we know is coming? Because it is coming. We fear the future. And believe it or not, we fear the devil. We run around here whipped up, broke down, beat down, sulking in our wounds because the devil done caused us to get sick. Or the devil done caused my air conditioner to break. Or it doesn't call somebody to steal my truck. And we just stay whipped up all the time. We don't, have, we don't use the authority. If we use just a tenth of the authority that God gave us, we'd shake this world upside down. And we go to God, oh, please, please, God. That's not what God wants. When somebody has authority to trample on demons... Fear takes the focus from God and puts it on man. Fear takes the focus from God and puts it on man. Fear leads in the wrong direction. When you're scared, you make rash decisions. When you're scared, you make decisions that aren't beneficial for your family, that aren't beneficial for your job. 
When you're scared, you do things that you're not supposed to. Fear will keep you oppressed. And when you're oppressed, you can't operate. You can't function. You're whipped down. You're beaten. And you just can't move when you're oppressed because all you can think about is the bad things that are coming into your life. And when fear will make you, makes us controlling, when we fear things, we want to start controlling things. We want to control our kids, our wives, our husbands. We want to start controlling our jobs, controlling our money in a sense that we're not going to honor God with it. Fear makes us angry. Fear will make you bitter, and bitterness sets down inside of you, and it becomes this cancer that just eats your body alive from bitterness. You got no joy. You got no peace. You can't even sleep at night. You're constantly, constantly being bitter and angry, and it makes you hateful. Fear will make you hateful. A lot of the things that we don't understand, we, associate, we, we fear it, and it'll make you hateful. Fear is mental bondage. Isaiah 41.10 Isaiah 41:10 Fear not for I am with you do not be dismayed for I am with you with for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand Amen 2 Timothy 1:7 says God did not give us a spirit of what fear but of what power and of what love and of self-control He did not give us a spirit of fear but of power and of love, and of self-control. So he didn't give us fear, but he did give us power. But we operate in fear way more than we operate in power. Amen? That doesn't mean because God has given you power that you go set up shop somewhere and start this ministry of whatever. I've got the authority from God. He never gave us that for that purpose. He gave us power and authority that as we're going down the path to bringing people closer to him, if any kind of demon or devil or serpent or angry person gets in our way, we can cast them out by the authority that's in Christ Jesus. That's the reason he gave us the power to to make him manifest. But don't forget about love. Don't forget about love. You can have all the power in the world. You can be the greatest bridge builder in the world and be known for everything, but if you don't love your neighbor, nobody's going to respect you. Nobody's going to love you. We've got to love our neighbor. And then self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. I've always wondered why that is a fruit of the Spirit. If you can, get your, if you can control yourself, there's so many parts of your body you need to control. Your mind, your tongue, your attitude, your will, your emotions, if you can control that, you'll be a powerful, powerful force to be reckoned with as a Christian. But most often we can't control it. That's why it's a fruit of the Spirit. We work towards that. I don't know anybody that's perfect in self-control. But Galatians 5.22 says, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, selfishness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control will bring all the other fruits of the Spirit right front and center. Amen. God gave us power to trample on serpents. Fear is a serpent. Fear is a devil. It robs you of your joy. Fear robs you of your peace. Fear robs you of your happiness in your marriage. Amen? Fear comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And some of us are still in bondage of fear because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what the reports are going to say. But we got to stop living that way. we got to stop living in the freedom that God has given us because fear will steal your joy. It will kill your hopes. It will destroy your mind. Then you are really, inevitably, 
uh, for lack of a better term, you're a no-good-for-nothing Christian. When you, if you're just standing around licking your wounds all the time, it's okay if you get knocked down on the battlefield. Lick your wounds and get up. Don't stay there. The only failure, the only war, the only devil you can't beat is the one that you don't get back up and fight. That's what pa Paul Golden used to always say. The reason Rocky Balboa won so many fights is because he got up one more time than the enemy, than the Russian. Or I think he actually lost to Mr. T, didn't he? I never, I, that, I don't, different story for a different time. And Glover. Yep. Anyway. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we overcome bondage of fear with the word of God. And how do we do that with the word of God? You read it. Your word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. When you read the word, it lights the way for you. Light dispels darkness. Fear is darkness. You put the light in you, the darkness has to flee. So if you're fear or you're scared, yes, amen. You get in the word of God and it has to flee. Fear has to leave. John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And you skip on down to verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if you're going to apply the word of God to cast out fear, that means you're going to apply Jesus. We should get up every morning and put Jesus on like a nice, warm, fuzzy coat and wear him all day, everywhere we go. Amen? Okay, we're getting ready to close. Number five, point number five. Um, and we're, we're going to close after this. Christian bondage. Christian bondage. One of the things about um, being Christians and loving the Lord, and we all do such wonderful, amazing things together, is we get caught up in, in, the, in this uh, mentality that busyness is godliness. And we get bound up by all these programs and all these committees, and we, we spend so much time trying to promote the gospel of, of Christ and getting people changed that we forget to be Christians. And that in and of itself will put you in bondage. Because what we do is we jump from program to program to committee to committee. And what that does, that is what I call works righteousness. That we're working for a great cause, but we don't have a relationship with Christ because we're too busy trying to get everybody else's relationship with Christ. So we got to take a step back. we got to break that bondage. You don't have to be in every committee in the church. You don't have to be involved with every program in the church. We're a team. We're all a team. And if you ain't putting your family first next to your salvation, then I'm going to say we're already missing the mark. Don't come up here and join these programs and committees if your home life is, is going down the, the tubes. You get your life right. You get your family right. You build strength. You get them up here and y'all get involved together. There's no Lone Rangers. Family first. God, family, ministry. God, family, ministry. Because I promise you, when you stand before God, he's not going to pat you on the back for all these programs and committees you've been involved with. You know what he's going to ask you? Why is your son doing this? He needed a father, and you were absent. God didn't call us to be busy. Get that in your heart. He called us to be productive, or not to be, he called us to be uh, servants. He called us to be Christians, to love one another, to lead one another, and that, that is what I call Christian bondage. 
to be a bondservant for Christ. What did Paul mean when he said in Romans 1.1, I am a bondservant for Christ? What is a bondservant? A bondservant is a slave. So here we go, back to the question at the front. How can we be slaves if we're set free? A slave is a person who is bound up in servitude to another person. A slave is separated. A slave is often alone. A slave is subject to the governing authority. Amen. And this next sentence is probably going to shock you, but being a slave to Christ means you're free. Being a slave to Christ means you're free because we're not thinking with the natural form of slavery. When we think slavery, we think of all the, all the way back through the Egyptians, all the way through history about slavery. That's not the kind of slavery that we're in, where we subject ourselves to God. We subject ourselves to Christ. We willingly and willfully put ourselves under his authority. Paul called himself a servant. Paul called himself a bondservant. But also, uh, he also used the word, it is also a word used for slave, excuse me. So as Christians, we're not hired servants. But we are slaves committed to serve Jesus Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen? Not because we're forced, but because he loves us. When you love somebody, you subject yourself under their authority. Amen? And in case you didn't know, I, Timothy Ellen Olaf, am a servant. I am a bondservant. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. He is on my lips Every morning when I wake up, when I go to bed, I'm praising him for allowing me to have a bed to sleep in. When I wake up, I'm pressing in for my family, for the church, for the body. I'm pressing in for opportunities to witness, to share the gospel. I am a slave to Christ because I love my Jesus, and nothing that I could do can ever compare to the goodness and the mercy that he has showed upon me. I am a slave. When you become, here's the greatest thing that Paul says, when you become a slave to Jesus, you become a son. Amen. And when you become a son, you become an heir. Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So if I become, submit myself as a slave to Jesus Christ, I become a son of Jesus Christ. And when I become an heir, that means I have everything that my father has. If he has a cattle on a thousand hills, I have a cattle on a thousand hills. If he has streets of gold to walk on, I have streets of gold to walk on. He's just waiting for us to ask for it. Hey, this is Christian Golden. I wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd like to ask you to do a couple things for us. The first is to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date with everything going on here at LCC. Also, you can help us reach others around the world by investing today at lightchristiancenter.com slash give. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and have a great day.